Welcome to your local Imaginarium. I'm your host, Daniel Williams, along with host Calvin Seymour. In the episode that I thought would never happen, episode three, Revenge of the... No, you told me we can't predetermine titles, so... You can't do that. You can't do that. So, I guess we'll just see what happens and what we say. If we happen to say Revenge of some... Well, see, you're going to be trying the whole show to work Revenge of the something in there. I know how this works. Just remember, I wanted down the rabbit hole last time, and you poo-pooed it, so... Nick. And I think you've actually chosen our last uh, our last two titles. So, maybe... maybe. Maybe I'll just leave that in your hands and you could just pick it out. I don't know. It's just the lightning strikes, man, and then it happens. I was struggling last time. I had, like, Sorry as my best title, and you were like, Mental Jenga. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I, this is this is episode three, and I did not think this would happen because I thought we would... We would be completely terrible, and we would just be—we would slink away in embarrassment, uh, and never well, tell anybody. At least one of those two things didn't happen. <laughs> we didn't slink away because <laughs> we're idiots, and so we're still here, right? Gluttons, gluttons for punishment. Right. Uh, wow. Um, so zombies, right? Uh, that. Uh, so we. You want to just jump into the. The undead, okay. Yeah, the, you know, uh, that's how it is. You know, we, last time we talked about how brains work. This time we talked about people like to eat brains. <laughs> it's natural progression. It's natural. Tell me how they work, Calvin. How do zombies work? By unworking. That, that makes sense. Yes. Well, do do uh, zombies actually have brain, or is it any brain activity at all, or or is it just like base brain are activity? Or? About, are we talking about magical zombies or viral zombies? I mean, old style movie zombies. You know, they could be freak science zombies. They're different kind of zombies. Okay. All right. So that leads me to my uh, second question. Uh, what's the difference between a zombie and a vampire? They both seem to be dead, but I guess vampires are like... A conscious intelligence level beyond just urges. Like, zombies zombies are on an instinctual, animalistic level. They're driven by hunger, or the old-school magical zombies are controlled by someone else. So they okay. really don't think for themselves. All right, so vampires have their own, they they usually think they have their own ability, except there's some hierarchy that controls them. But like the lead zombie is the minion zombies, not the zombies, the vampires, sorry. Yeah, so they're often, the lesser uh, vampires are are basically called vampire spawn, and they are uh, always kind of, you know, their creator has power over them. I don't know exactly why that is, but uh, that's definitely probably something that uh, came from Dracula or, um, you know, its origins, you know. Let's let's not even get into vampire origins. There's no way we can do this show if we start (laughs) talking about vampire origins. They're crazy. So let's just do a a very modern comparison between zombies and vampires, specifically how they seem to go in cycles in popular media. Uh, Vampires are popular, and then the zombies are popular, and then vampires are popular, back and forth. And occasionally, uh, uh, werewolves throw in there, and they they fade away quickly. 
current popularity seems to be clearly zombies. But I think uh, there could be there could be some vampire popularity rotating back around. I mean, we passed through the Twilight Zone, and now we've got The Walking Dead, and now next up is, is I think it's going to be vampires again pretty soon. Well, you know, I get why vampires are popular. They are uh, sexual, erotic beings. At least that's how they always have been uh, kind of put forth. You know, even the original romantic bitings on the neck, and, and you know, in the older, the older stuff. Uh, you know, when they first came up, they were not romantic at all. You know, it was just something to be completely feared. But you know, pop culture is definitely made the sexy vampire sort of the thing. So I kind of get that. I mean, the number one thing that sells is sex. Uh, I mean, uh, in just about anything. Right. Um, But now zombies, I I just don't, I don't understand their popularity. And and like, and in in terms of like uh, The Walking Dead, let's say, I think the success of Walking Dead has more to do with the apocalyptic setting and the and the and the focus on the characters is instead of the zombies. The zombies are just they're a good device, you know, a, a good uh, a good way to apply pressure to the characters. You know, that's actually kind of interesting because zombies are usually like it's all it, it, the balloon's gone up, you know, not literally in this case, but in, in a different way. The world has ended, and uh, it's just we're struggling against this sort of alien invasion of the, you know, you got to kind of, kind of got to learn the rules of the zombie. And then there's a fragment of humanity left that's fighting against it. Right. Um, or if it's a small, a small town setting, right. You've got a bunch of people dying and then it just, they get whittled away until an, an exciting conclusion. Whereas vampires are sort of like, you know, the world is perpetual. Uh, you know, it's, it's gone up and down, up and downs and they, uh, exist in it sort of apart from it, but they don't really herald the end of civilization generally. So I think it's more talking yeah, about the They the, live off of it and they live in, in a, well, kind of in a predator-prey style, you know. Uh, I mean, most of these movies you see these days, they have laws against exposing yourselves to the humans and, you know, uh, I think that I think that sort of comes from a, a sensibility of the a, real, a realization of the modern connectivity. Like you know, you, and it was in the '60s, people could have a small town where something crazy could happen, and news could possibly never even get out. But that's, that doesn't make sense. And you know, later the, the modern world, because of modern technology, even even as the telephone spread, just, just calling up and saying. Uh, there's some people killing people here would, would bring the, the you know outside authorities. So I think that has to do just that's just that the laws about not exposing yourself as opposed to just this natural uh, balance between sort of a predator prey relationship. I think that's just a reaction to that that uh, modern technology. Yeah. But in general, I think I, I like the idea that it's sort of the uh, environment that the 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 human uh, feeling overall about what is, what is, uh, you know, okay, so turn of the century, 1999, 2000, the world is ending, 
uh, that was the you know a feeling of um, apocalypse coming on, and then after we move move past that, more of a well everything's at least we're going to continue and perfect uh, you know for foreseeable future let's say uh, it it sort of uh, switches back to and a feeling that where vampires are a primary primacy and then as we sort of get further into the century it goes back to like well what are all the things that could kill us from asteroids to to viruses and i think that sort of expresses end of the world feelings again well to me it's not so much about end of the world you know what you know what the common denominator is escapism people don't want their normal everyday nine to five life they want a life that's different if if that means aliens come down and attack the planet i guarantee you a certain percentage of this planet actually would want that just to change their boring life You know, that's, uh, I completely agree. And I think that deeper one is just sort of the grass is always greener, right? Then it's just like the, the thing that you are afraid is happening over there that you're not experiencing. Uh, no matter, and you kind of lose the appreciation of the things that are good in life. Uh, and, and so they, they, it sort of builds up. And you're like, I, I, can't, I can't foresee myself actually making a change. But fantasy-wise, if the world went to crap, if every, everything blew up, it wouldn't really be me having to make a change. It would be, <laughs> it'd be forced by circumstances. That, you know what the first thing I would do if that happened would be? I'd go find my trusty bandolier. You know, you got to have, in, in the apocalypse, you got to have a few things, you know, uh, find some kind of weapon, sure, but you you, you got to have a bandolier to look the part. Okay. Preferably uh, with like dynamite in it, you know. Does your, does your bandolier have dynamite in it currently? That's 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 what my bandolier in the apocalypse would have stuffed in it would be dynamite sticks. I would I would get a towel. <laughs> a towel? <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't you can't go anywhere without a towel. You always need a towel. Would you uh, would you be uh, popping them with the towel like popping the zombies? Well, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could cover myself. And, I mean, a towel is infinitely useful. And uh, yeah, you know, if you're like some kung fu master, perhaps. I mean, but you don't have to fight them. I mean, think you could, you could dry yourself after, after having a shower. You oh, can okay. also, you can also cover yourself in some goo that they, they can't get past. Like they, like if it's a zombie apocalypse, then you know, maybe they're based on smell or something. You cover yourself with a towel or clean yourself out, off afterwards. Yeah, but they, they, they can't smell very well when their head's blown off from dynamite, right? I'm just saying what's more effective here. I, I get that, you know, I can't, I can't use dynamite to dry myself off after a nice bath, but, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, anyway. The, the towel comes from... Uh, the uh, the uh, oh my god the towel I, I don't wanna, I don't want to be like a 2001 reference but uh, that's like from Shaun of the Dead or something oh no it's uh, 
Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy, the um, ah. the, the various uh, the, when, they, when they are escaping an exploding Earth. Speaking of uh, a, a, a not exploding Earth, a Earth that is scheduled for demolition, demolition, right? They uh, the alien takes. Author Dent and, and he escapes and he's like, "Well, get your towel because you always need a towel." But anyway, so and then he has adventures and the towel comes in useful. Yeah. Well, in my uh, in in my post-apocalyptic uh, fantasy world, I'm not wishing I had a towel, but I'll I'll let you have that. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in a situation where you got dynamite, you can't use it. You're like, if only had a towel right now. Well, you know, now everyone has their different visions and, and fantasies of what those things would be like, you know. Uh, uh, you know, in the, especially like if you're into into art at all, uh, you can see this very prominently from from works to works of some of the different artists out there. You know, uh, you've got like uh, Arthur Sordom, who kind of does, you know, he's called he's known as the Zombie King. I don't know. Do you uh, are you familiar with the Marvel Zombies series? No. So in this post-apocalyptic Marvel world, basically a zombie virus breaks out, and you know when the Hulk gets infected, it's really bad. Oh, so he's a it's a Hulk zombie. Yeah, yeah, and uh. So he's even less middle than he normally is. Right. So beyond just the cool fantasy universe that they dreamed up of. Uh, that young artist at the time, they kind of came in with this style. It's very noticeable. Um, and, you know, it's it's his vision of this kind of half-jawed Spider-Man arachnoid zombie. You know, things like this that really stuck in people's minds. Uh, so, you know, uh, you got... You, you, it's really whatever you can dream up, you know. Um I think uh, one thing I really like, I really like what they've done with um, Walking Dead because I think it was just sheer brilliance that they took such a small approach to everything. And I know it can be painfully slow to some people at some times, but just focusing on the humanity, to me it's always been, you know, hey, what would life be like if I had to go out and find, you know, my meal every day and they tap into all that and then they show you, you know, the bad parts of humanity and, and they didn't even really have to do anything more than that. But but then if you go and like look at the uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, it does not even appear like it's the same world, really, to me. Uh, the characters are 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 more like something from a you know, uh, like a medical drama than a comic book. And I feel like with Walking Dead, they write, they had the right kind of casting and characters. They all feel like, you know, they're from that world. So, you know, the, 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 the vision that one person has in these fancy worlds could really affect things, you know? We, we could really go off on a tangent about uh, the TV shows that are based on other works like... The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, uh, The Song of Ice and Fire, that sort of have this built-in where you, you can't, the, the writers of the show are locked into a certain 
uh, character. Not, not fully, but there's definitely a strong anchor. You have old school magic zombies in Game of Thrones. So, so that's another example that's going on right now. Just and probably the most popular thing. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, yep. Yeah, and I, and I, I really like how the, the show watchers were like, what? This is a zombie show? That was <laughs> it's like, surprise. It's a zombie yeah. show. Because trust me. My wife won't watch a zombie show, but she watches Game of Thrones, and that's been the biggest thing she's had to deal with is zombies on the show. She's like, no! I almost made her... Well, I'm, I almost made her skip watching the very first one because of the intro, right? But they bury that for a very long time, and, uh, and then it doesn't resurface, so she was really hooked before they came back. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Another brilliant thing I got to say. Uh, hey, you know, we could have a whole episode about the brilliance of George R. R. Martin. I mean, wow. That's just some good stuff. But uh, Yeah, we could. We could have several episodes. But we, we, should, we, we should talk about one other type of undead we haven't actually mentioned yet. A, a, that is the mummy. A mummy. A mummy type undead. Well, yeah, uh, they had a mummy this weekend in, in, in the movies. Uh, I believe it re died. Did it did it go back to death? Did it did it well, dead? <laughs> well, we you know I think the whole reason we're talking about zombies is that we were like uh, you know last episode we were interested in talking about the dark universe that got announced, uh-huh. but you know uh, the mummy flopped pretty bad. And from what I can tell, it's a it's been reviewed by both critics and viewers alike as being a, a soulless action flick that just didn't deliver. People didn't want that. People wanted the romantic horror. They wanted they wanted uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which, by the way, one of the best vampire movies ever made, in my opinion. Just the soundtrack alone is just sets the mood in such a way that it's just so artistic, you know. Uh, so, but, for, for those of us who aren't really familiar, explain what the Dark Universe is. Well, the Dark Universe is an attempt... Is it, it, is it DC? Is it Marvel? Is it somebody else who's just trying to get in on the comic book thing? What 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 exactly is that? It's, it's, uh, it's uh, all the old movie monsters, like, I think, Universal, I think. Uh, okay. That, but... Uh, and it's the classic ones, like the creature from the Black Lagoon, Invisible Man, uh, Dracula, Werewolf, Frankenstein. The very next movie that's already in production, so we're gonna we know we're gonna get at least one more Dark Universe movie, is uh, the Bride of Frankenstein. Okay, and uh, so I thought thought it was also interesting that they're going with the Bride of Frankenstein instead of starting with Frankenstein. But that that I think that's also good in a universe where you, you you basically are you want some creative reign to do something new and you use the history of the uh, vehicle to kind of give depth to what you're doing you know so that that's a, probably not a bad idea. The last dark universe one I remember is uh, and it wasn't a dark universe it's just along the line is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen right which. Yeah. That was not only a career ending, but the end of the career of of 007. Yeah. Well, 
You know what? The thing is, is these kind of movies, Hollywood keeps trying to get them right, like Van Helsing or whatever. But but Hollywood cannot break itself away from this from the popcorn action flick handbook. And uh-huh. uh, you can't give... Th- they're right. People want this kind of movie. They want a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They want a Van Helsing. Uh, but look, look, the small time's been much better. I mean, like, have you watched Penny Dreadful? I've Penny Dreadful? Okay. I mean, much better than the actual movies that are coming out. And that... I don't know if that has to, to do with that they just have more time to do what and say what they need need to. Uh, I mean, I often thought, hey, you know, like I've had arguments about Game of Thrones movie versus TV show, and it's like you get so much time to explore these characters. Uh, I mean, they've had two hour long episodes of Game of Thrones. That's all you get in a movie. Imagine if we were at this point right now and you only had six hours of footage six hours of story how on earth do you really get the level of, of, of engagement and I, I think that's why you're seeing Netflix and all and, and, and all these these cable networks that are starting to be able to be paid for directly and, and not as part of some big conglomerate package you're starting to see them uh, do these creative things because they they see the blueprint there, you know, I don't pay for a lot of things uh, that are unnecessary, but I've got to see Game of Thrones, uh-huh. and and you know who has that is HBO. So guess what that means? <laughs> yeah, it's. And, and I think there's an aspect of that that they they don't get, which is that people's attention spans are not. They are willing to sit through ninety minutes of a TV show with no you know no interruptions or sixty minutes. Yeah. They, they will literally get on Netflix, obviously, and this is not news to anybody, and watch four hours in a row of a TV show. And what? That, I don't think they have any idea what that, where that comes from. It blows their mind. They think 30 minutes, 25 minutes, and then, that's, and then shut it down. And they have, they just, they're just missing the huge market, which are these uh, slower paced, more interesting, uh, more depth to them, more more side stories uh, if they're well executed, because it, yeah. obviously it's got to be execution. And they're so locked into the mentality of more advertisements that it only only when it's like Netflix where it's just like you pay for us and the only thing Netflix wants to do is keep you paying month to month and HBO is the same way it's like they need that killer show that gets people to keep paying month to month and they don't care about if it's a a 15 minute comedy show or a 7 episode with 60 minutes each uh, episodes they uh, they're, they're just going to what the people will keep paying that month to month uh, fee for rather than this chopping, chopping it up into advertisements speaking of advertisements and sponsors we don't we don't have any and uh, we have to do another fake sponsor which we'll probably do fake sponsors even when we ever do get real sponsors but 
I have a, I have another fake sponsor from Faco if you wanna if you're if you're interested in uh, the the next amazing product from Faco. If Faco will take fake money, we're fine. <laughs> All right, and I, I just want to say that you uh, you had a criticism last time that my rhetorical style, you know, do you have grass? Uh, do you sleep? That uh, you, you thought I shouldn't do that. You should I should have a more traditional read. Well, so, not, not really. I wasn't being critical. I was I was just kind of pointing it out, you know. So I guess that is being critical, but. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that uh, maybe uh, you could uh, spice it up a little. I don't know. Okay. Well, in a long tradition of taking good advice, I have completely ignored that advice. And, and, and here's the read, okay? Ready? All right. Have you seen the moon? Do you like seeing the moon at night? Bright, reflective of the sun's glimmering rays, the moon is both majestic and serene. You can't gaze at the bright, searing sun with the moon. It never burns, only soothes, and just out of reach. Until now, what if you could see the moon up close and personal? Go to the moon. Yes, it's not possible. Brought to you by Fakeco, the fake product product company. For the amazing price of just $14.95. That's $14.95. Fakeco Heavy Industries will... Not fly you to the moon. Yes, the moon for less than $15. This is not limited to the rich, the wealthy, or the lucky. Anyone, even the unlucky, especially the unlucky, can be sent to the moon for just $14.95. Now, getting back, that's a different story. It's more expensive to get back. That's where they make their money. Well, they wouldn't make their money if it was real. It's like hundreds of millions of dollars to get back safely. That's... Probably billions of dollars. You know, it depends on how you go, when you go. Hey, not to interrupt your spill, but, you know, uh, Elon Musk recently unveiled his plan for, uh, you know, going to Mars. And I'm wondering if he's not pulling the same thing because. Look, are you gonna, you're going to. Uh, look, Elon Musk, he wants to go to Mars. OK, there is no there's no uh, fuel there's no there's no dead dinosaurs on Mars right so you need electric vehicles well he's doing electric vehicles there is no uh, no way no rocket ships can get to Mars so he's doing SpaceX which will take him to Mars literally there's no uh, you need energy storage on Mars so he's doing a battery company or buying a battery company and and pushing that battery technology and he's also built this boring technology boring company the, the boring company that is uh, for underground travel because you don't want to travel on the surface of Mars uh, long distance. It's like a train, right? He's with, so he's basically he's basically he's building all the companies needed to go move a civilization to Mars, and that's that's my theory. Yeah, well, you know, but he did unveil a plan, and he's trying to get the cost to go to Mars to down to two hundred thousand dollars per person. So I'm just wondering if the you know, I'm pretty sure it's a one-way trip, but he may be planning on making all his money back from that one person that gets over there, and they're like, you know, hey, Earth was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back, yeah. They called to come back home. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, just your 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 ad. I don't know. Uh, I know it's 14.95 in yours. So let's extrapolate that to 200,000 in his plan. Uh, what's that cost to get back, Daniel? Uh, a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> I don't think, and I, and I don't, I don't think 
<laughs> I think Elon will be one of them. I think it, it, what, he's going to be like on the first trip ship out there. He may be 80 years old, but as soon as I think, this is just my opinion, as soon as Mars is reachable, then survivable in some minimal way, he'll be like, I'm going to Mars. Do you think, do you think he wants to be the first guy to set foot on the planet? No, I don't think so. I think he wants to be like the one, the first guy who lives on Mars. He wants to be a citizen of Mars. I don't think I, maybe he would be cool. He probably wouldn't turn it down. But I think his objective isn't to be the first one to step on Mars. And he'd probably be like, that's a useful that's a useful carrot for somebody if they'll help me get to Mars. Yeah. Well, I know that what I read yesterday was that they're going to produce like uh, each ship's going to be able to carry 100 people. He believes maybe even up to 200 people. They're going to produce like a thousand of these ships. And every time that Mars and Earth are at their closest point, they're going to ship out a batch of people. It's going to take 80 days to get there. And uh, about 10 of those trips, and they've got a million people on Mars. So that, you know, that's the very top level of the plan but I, I, I just find uh, I find it so interesting that we're talking about these things I mean he's actually as optimistic as a 10 year window starting that uh, and uh, I just you know I don't know I mean well, he, been, has, he has a track rate of actually delivering yeah and that's the thing is that I don't there's not been many people in my life that I remember that have been so far out there yeah, they just power through. I mean, basically, this guy's an entrepreneur, which is even stranger when you start thinking about creative types. I mean, I think I think entrepreneurs are all very creative types, or they're extremely efficient mathematically, and, and they're they're kind of they see the numbers. You know what I mean? But uh, most. Most entrepreneurs are very creative people that have very active imaginations. And the missing ingredient for most is action. Taking, well, it's two things. Taking action and removing your fear. Uh, See, you know, I am an entrepreneur and this is what I do every day. I don't know where my money is going to come from and, and how I'm going to pay the bills. And I just put my mind in a direction and uh, it carries me places. And I, you know, has it been scary? Of course, you know, it gets very scary, but uh, it's all worth it to me because, you know, I just live, I, I live to, to use my imagination. And I'm, I feel like most entrepreneurs are, are that way. And if, if they can be focused and actually remove the fear and act on it, they can have success. And when you look at Elon Musk, man, the guy's a god amongst entrepreneurs. This is this is just something I have never seen. I have a lot of respect for this man. Uh, he, he, he also has another quality. He doesn't seem to he, – he, and I could be wrong. Uh, I mean, I'm not – I don't know him personally, but he doesn't seem to be greedy which is a rare thing for an entrepreneur. Hmm. Uh, uh, I, I, he doesn't seem to be money as a number that he wants to be bigger focused. Yeah. 
So, I, you know, greedy is terrible definitions, but uh, definitely in the sense that he just he doesn't seem to be a, towards accumulating a bigger bank account. If, if you said greedy, it would be like you have a, a specific specific objective, uh, well, like getting to I, Mars. But I don't think that counts as greedy. I mean, I identify with this because, like, with me. I want to pull together just enough resources to get this dream out of my head. And that is what he does. It's, but on such a scale to dwarf anything I, I've ever seen. Uh, and it is, it's incredible to me. So I'm a real big fan. I like to watch what he's doing and, and the crazier things he says. Well, I just it just makes me smile that he's even attempting or thinking he can, you know, because because he's not afraid to fail. He's getting lucky. And sometimes, you know, when you're playing the game of life, all you have to do is stay on your feet long enough to take the licks and one you know, one punch can change your, your the whole course of your life. So I think uh I think that he's just done that and gotten lucky a little bit, and then he gets more resources and more momentum, and it's allowing him to do incredible things. You know? But, uh, so, you know. A little side thing. So, type of intelligence is, is Elon has a certain type of intelligence. Um, that would, would probably be a whole episode to, to break that down, and probably we would not be capable of doing it justice. Well, uh, well you know, he, he's both like he's analytical and he is uh, goal focused, but sort of uh, like you say, low, low fear, I think, or maybe the fear is just overcome. Maybe you know, Bray he overcomes it. Um, very, very effective, and it'd be interesting to see where we are in 20 years. Well, he's going to make the golden years interesting for sure. Uh, I mean, I was actually thinking about this yesterday, reading the article. How odd is it going to be to be on our rockers and, you know, travel to Mars be a normal thing? To be a multi-planetary species in our time just did not, I mean, I don't know about you, but that never seemed achievable. That is, that is the essence of science fiction and fantasy and, 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 you know, and all the dawn of man's time and creativity and all these books and stories that we, you know, we, we, we see Hollywood remake the same movie every 20 years about what happens when it's the real thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're probably like zombie apocalypse on Mars. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're gonna get. Zombie apocalypse on Mars. Our fact, that's a that's a great great idea for a movie right there. Okay, you combine uh, <laughs> you, you you combine the two genres into a, a, something going wrong on Mars. Very easy to do. They come across some strange dust, some red dust or something, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll be like. Uh, that old horror movie, I don't remember the name, but always freaked me out as a kid. I I remember uh, playing hooky one day or something or was sick or was at the house. And uh, this was back 
when you were young and you were, you know, people didn't think much about leaving at your house by yourself for a little while when you were like 10 or whatever. And uh, I remember uh, there was this bus and it travels through this fog and it's full of kids. And when they go through it, all the kids like become white as ghosts and get black fingernails and anyone they touch, they, they like life drained. So every all the kids got off the bus and went home and drained all their parents. <laughs> but I may not have, my memory may not. That's a real old memory that may not really be there, but that's a sort of zombie thing, right? Uh, well, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, back up to Elon and uh, types of intelligence. You know, he's just got more than he's got a lot of things there that I don't know. Uh, you know, let, let, let's imagine uh, if, if Elon Musk was a zombie, what qualities would he still have? <laughs> wow, if Elon Musk was a zombie, uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, I mean, like, you think of what a zombie retains. If they retain just a fraction of something, which, you know, what, 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 would, Elon, what would Elon still have? Because to me, that's what I'm saying is that he has a lot of things that I think are on a subconscious level. See, he strikes me as just basically an engineer with other attributes. So I think what would be, he would probably be like the kind of guy zombie would wander into some garage just to start working on a, a car. Like he would just be like banging on it with some tools. Like you know, as a he's working quote working on a car, he would just be banging on the the hood or something trying to work on the engine. Yeah, and then you know he'd probably be looking to to. Uh, Eat the brains of some poor mechanic that underneath one really is what I'm thinking. But uh, of course, he Elon might be walking around going Mars, <laughs> Mars, like you know, just saying, uh, be especially attracted to any any red. <laughs> this needs to be a movie, man. Elon Musk turns into zombie. Well, okay, so uh, anyway, so one of the things about zombies that I really thought about ties into a creative world that I have, all right, that I kind of, and you know, you helped me delve into, and uh, but I created this thing uh, a while back, and it's it's kind of what I think we've been kind of talking about this subject matter for. But I, I created the thing, it's called uh, Counter Agents, and it's, the idea is that uh, back in like the Cold War UFO era, eras, uh, some things happened. Hold on, I just want to stop it right there. I like how you combine the Cold War slash UFO era. That's, well, you know, I mean, that whole that. period, it got started in Roswell. You know, before they really, but that's the big public event, right? Okay. And uh, you know, so it gets started in Roswell, and then you you have all these things going on. The nuclear, the nuclear bomb ceases war as we know it. You know, a mutually assured destruction keeps the power. You know, it it, it almost becomes like a, a a rigged fight or something because everyone that's in on it. Wink, winks and, and shows a lot of bravado uh, and, and, and messes with the little guy, but they know there's really not much they can do to each other. Uh, you know, that's what this mutually assured destruction is. So you, that's kind of 
what got you the Cold War because you had to win in different ways. You couldn't just take your superior army across the border and take what you want because everyone can die. Yes, and I just want to – so this is a type of intelligence interjection, but the non-rationality of humanity actually makes that work because you know the United States had nuclear weapons. And for the first few years, even though the Soviet Union quickly gained one or two or whatever, the arsenal of the United States nuclear stockpile was overwhelming. And there were several people, like if you think rationally, you think, well, you've got an overwhelming advantage and an enemy who has no ability at that point to strike back. Why wouldn't you wipe them out? So I think in some particular set of rational thinking, hyper-rational maybe, of no empathy, no no shared humanity, would definitely attack the, the other and wipe them out, and they, they you know, just establish dominance. So our, our non-rationality that would actually, you know, once we establish mutually assured uh, destruction uh, becomes a danger, it allows us to actually move through mass murder uh, and overwhelming uh, destruction through war uh, to a point where now, now we're at risk for everybody dying or maybe nobody dying because of this, uh, you know, the, the shared the shared threat. Yeah. So, well, so humans, not rational, good and bad. So I'll go anyway, continue the counter agency error, which is okay. So, uh, so anyway, the idea is that uh, there were a couple of UFO events uh, and. Uh, the um, you know the, the United States recovered some technology, some crafts, and uh, for a small time had a living biological entity. That's that's popular thought in uh, you know if you get into the uh, UFO culture, which I happen to be just a bit. And, uh, and, and this this is uh, your counter agents uh, concept. Yeah, assumes that. It assumes that. Yeah, I'm laying the groundwork for where counteragents comes from. Okay. While in Russia, the idea is that they uh, they actually managed to uh, either you know through some method they either established contact with these entities or they came in control of some. They actually had the biological entities. So the whole idea with counteragents. Is that as the Cold War kind of started getting waged, the U.S. become increasingly aware that Russia was developing psychological weapons like mind control and telepathy and that sort of thing through their through their connections from the bio entities, while the U.S. was having great technological advances from reverse engineering. Uh, some rather intact alien technologies. Uh, so that's that's the basis for the counteragents world. Well, the U.S. launched a, this secret program. Uh, it, it's so secret it was actually confusing because it's the CAI, not the CIA. Uh, it's a counteragent initiative. And what they, they started having a kind of a black book 
program where they were looking for uh, people with sort of genetic differences uh, because they kind of discovered that they could train they could train people uh, to kind of uh, counteract the suspected weapons that they thought were being developed. Because how do you win a nuclear war? Control the the guy who's going to press the button, right? Okay. So, uh, so they started researching defenses against this stuff, and it it was not terribly uh, successful. Like they ended up producing uh, lots of people with very uh, you know odd abilities that weren't very useful, so to speak. Like, okay, to segue a little bit, I have to bring up suction skin guy, the human suction ship. <laughs> yeah. There's this, there's this guy out here. I don't know if you've ever Googled him or know him, but uh, he actually gets paid to go to parties because anything he sticks to his skin, he can sort of grip with his, his body suctions it in. Um, and that's the kind of odd thing that I've, you know, just like the last show when I was talking about the, the man that could look at uh, interstellar star maps and see the one spec change. The, you know, the, the, the Rain Man spectrum of people is what they were looking for, but they were applying some very uh, specific uh, tests and things to them conditioning really not tests more like conditioning trials to sort of get them to be able to do things that they thought would be useful against the suspected technology of their rivals so anyway so you have the you have your you have for every human suction cup guy you had a guy that they kind of produced that might have a slightly useful thing just let me just say the the suction skin guy is known as Canhead, and his real name is Jamie Keaton, I believe. Uh, human suction cup, and you can you look that up. It's he's very interesting, and and, and people like him. I he, just, said, he said he's he's one of four in the world that has the condition. Wow. He said uh, the video we were watching. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yeah. You you think about what are the odds? So you know that's actually that's actually a good number for me to remember. I like to base semi base my fantasy on reality, and yeah, so maybe four people in the world can do this thing, right? That they that they're looking for, and they've got to find the person and successfully use the conditioning on. I'll give you an example uh, of the uh, well, the main the main character who honestly you know is a superhero kind of world uh, that it's kind of like Jason Bourne meets Batman kind of a thing. Uh, my initial counter agent, I've always just called him counter agent because that's he was the first idea I had was a guy that was conditioned uh, for reflexive action. So like he could they they pretty much bombarded him with situations. Uh, while he slept and so it'd be like uh, situation answer situation solution and the idea was that he would instantly on a subconscious level react uh, without even having to think about it like breathing it to him to him uh, 
an action does not have to be thought of uh, b because it's just simply something his body knows to do. If that that's the level, the subliminal level that of consciousness that that they've opened for for this particular type of agent. But then I have agents that are far less useful than than him, uh, like guys that can hear. Uh, they they can kind of you know like just like this radio show. You have these different channels. Uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed every now and then you might hear a bird tweet, but that's because I raise canaries and fishes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm going to get to that later, but I am, by the way, leaving all the birds in this time. All the birds in. Yeah, so, so Daniel magically gets rid of them. But I, I have, like, one of the agents that's pivotal in my story was a kid who could actually kind of mentally separate the audio channels of every kind of incoming sound. And they, once they, they were looking for this sort of ability to do their conditioning, and now basically every time they find one of these guys, they give him a nice cush college job or whatever he's doing, answering phones. And, and he can hear, with someone's mind controlled, he can actually hear kind of the other voice on top of his, the other mental way. And it comes across to him as static. So he thinks he has a bad connection and he's instructed to hang up on anyone that comes through with the bad connection. And he has no idea what's going on. He's uh, he's really my Sam Witwicky. Uh, because in the story, when when World War III happens and everyone's still more than long, they don't realize it's actually happened. Because it's not nuclear, it's this alien technology against other alien technology, right? Right, it's, a, it's, it's basically an instant coup uh, where Russia tries to take control of the United States, but because of this black hat closet project that was never respected, just enough stuff happens and gets kicked into motion to where uh, our government's half functional. So like it appears to people to be like a giant political civil war a culture war, hey, that's not reflective of what's going on right now. But uh, that's what it would appear to people. But what's really going on underneath it all is, is World War III. And it's being fought by these archaic counter agents and the people that become aware of the program against those who actually have been taken over, but who have great power in our own political system. So it becomes like, you know, you think about like an, a mental invasion. That's what's happened. And uh, so that's the story. I probably went on too much about it. But that's why we've been talking about types of intelligence, because I think it's so cool how one guy might be able to just like visually see any angle and, and, and bounce a golf ball off three different things and, and land a hole in one. I mean, it. You know, how, how hard is golf? Think about that. You know, they can't even see the thing sometimes, yet they 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 knock a hole-in-one from, like, around a curt. I mean, how do you do that, you know? Yeah. You have to have some kind of special knack that others just can't see or do, you know? So it's types of intelligence. So we sort of we sort of went through this uh, in, our, in our preparations, but, you know, we sort of considered is breathing a type of intelligence, right? You know, sort of, because, I mean, 
It's autonomous. And, and, and you can breathe, and it just happens without you thinking about it, but you can control it. Like, you can stop breathing for a little bit until you pass out or whatever. And then you think, uh, is, so, okay, so that's sort of, you know, degenerative type of intelligence, but uh, is a heartbeat a type of intelligence because it just happens. And But a few people can sort of control through meditation and, and training, can sort of control their heartbeat rate. Yeah, people uh, that control yeah. lie detector tests. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, then, and then you move, okay, is the, you know, because adrenaline can you can you control adrenaline you can scare yourself but can imagine you could just uh shoot out adrenaline into your system at at will and give yourself great strength right uh it's not crazy when you think about the progression from breathing to heart the old rip the door off of a car to save your child right on demand right even though it would be kind of unhealthy whatever so then, and then, and then we tried to think, oh, well, that's all crazy. So, you know, not not crazy, but then think about something like being able to suck things to your skin. And it turns out there really is Jamie Keaton who has that ability, who he, you know, yeah, apparently it, there's oxygen, you know, it's sort of sucking in oxygen a few percentage off or whatever. And it just, it just, when you stick a, like a beer can or something on a skin, it just makes suction, right? And can he control that? Or is that just, you know, something going on, but maybe there was hypothetically a person who could control that and suddenly he could wall, go up walls or something, right? Yeah, so, I mean, and, think, think about this. If you could control some of the subliminal things, I mean, first of all, it'd probably tire you out if you had to think to breathe. I mean, you know, you, you'd be a mental deadhead if you had to think every time you needed to breathe or whatever. Uh, but, you know, if, if you could control these things and speed it up at will or, or just some of the smallest things about your body like for instance you know you know our, our cells are kind of programmed to die you know but what if you could just will yourself not to die you can say no 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 body don't do that you know uh that that to me i mean there's lots of stuff going on in your body you can't control you know mm-hmm. uh but it, well, it, that we think we can't control. And then right. Maybe maybe if we had a completely different upbringing, culture, that maybe maybe things we don't think we can control, we could, and maybe and maybe in that culture we would lose things we think we can control and so forth. But yeah, you know, is it a trade-off or are we just ignorant of of a good path? But what your 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 uh, your counter agents. Uh, what the I think that what I got from that was that they went to this training and they sort of figured out because of their influence in the alien technology. So that's the hand wavy part where what happens is that some of these were able to become more than random autonomous things and actually were able to become uh, functional, somewhat useful or at least controllable uh, things that the people could do. And it was sort of a fluky world and then it suddenly became useful because because adventure right you gotta have an adventure so the uh the, the guy the number guy, the number one guy you got that you're is sort of your your spider-man is the counter agent who counters he's he's both a counter agent but he also he is specifically the agent who instinctually counters the things that are that are coming on. I always on. imagine that as being it's, it was kind of the first thing they came across, and then they're kind of like, hey, you know, there's got to be these other things that exist. Like, you know, the whole idea, the whole idea of mind control has always been the same for me. Like, 
okay, I know my brain is sending these electric signals through my body. The reason my hand moves is because I tell it to. Why can't someone else, I mean, we already know about all these other electric devices and Wi-Fi and everything connect. So there has to be a way to connect and then tell that other person's arm to move. Sure, and, and, and people have very primitive versions of that when they can have you know, lost limb or something and they replace it and they start to figure out the electrical signals back and forth so you can get basic feeling and being able to control how harsh, how strong your grip is. That, that's reality, like that's happens today. And so yeah. uh, that's just because of the physical connection there. But as we learn about how to control that, will, will there be a future where <laughs> If you can imagine a future where uh, they can sort of hack in uh, and send the right signals that is interpreted by your hand to open or close or, or whatever from remotely. And then, then they could mechanize that, weaponize that, or just personalize that so in some way. And then, then you've got effectively mind control, even though you're not really controlling their mind, more like the effects that the mind normally can, can uh, creates. Oh man, just think about that. You could make a toy called "Why Are You Slapping Yourself." Oh yeah, that's exactly what that's, that's exactly what mind control should be used for. Just a toy that, that flaps you yourself. <laughs> you could make it a kind of a trivia game, and every time someone answered something, you could hold a button down, and the longer you hold it, the harder it would slap. They would slap themselves. So you just used that up, but that that fake code is actually working on that. Oh well, okay. Fake working on that. Stop secret next week, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, so we kind of kind of got a lot of stuff going there, but that, just wanted to give you guys a little idea about why we've been kind of on this subject. I mean, to me, all you know, uh, this show is about imagination, and to, and, and to understand imagination, you just have to really marvel at, at what how does the how does the brain do this i know there was a news report just a couple days ago that says that the brain creates structures in 11 dimensions did you see that i did not see that yeah you should google that all right you know i don't even understand what how you can have more than you know like three dimensions but uh i i, I don't understand but basically it describes it as like I'm at, you, you know one of those uh, little devices uh, that you, the, with the little pins where you can put your hand in and it instantly creates the shape kind of in 3D for you? Right, like yeah. You put your nose in there and you can make a nose, right? Yeah. Well, they kind of des describe the, the, the brain's abilities in that fashion. It's just like it can instantly just take this giant sandcastle and build it up and then just crumble it away. And they, But anyway, 11 dimensions. Cool. It was a. Uh, well, I mean, I can I can imagine up to five, right? I mean, I'm not gonna say that I, I can just describe up to five. I guess is a better way to say it, because you've got the three dimensions, which are easy. You know, that's solid matter it's around us. You see that. But then you say uh, for the fourth dimension is just top, so that solid matter uh, is still there a second later, and it's still there a second later. But you move your phone from one place to another, it moved. In, in time as well, right? In, in second zero, it was over here, and in second five, it's over there. It, that's that's the, the fourth dimension. And then you might say, I don't know if this is this is how I describe it. The fifth dimension would be like uh, uh, different options. Like instead of being over there, it was over there, or over there, but it ended up in, in one particular one. 
but the fifth dimension might say all of the possibilities of where it could have ended up. And uh, that's, that's pretty much the maximum. I, I guess I can imagine it describe five dimensions. Uh, I, don't well, know, I don't know what 11 would be. Something else cool, you know, I guess we've slipped into the what's cool section of the show. So, hold on. So, yes, we have a what's cool section of our notes, but we had to change it to what's cool or going to kill us all. Yeah. Uh, so, go yeah. ahead. Uh, yeah, so what's, co- what's cool or going to kill us all? That's the section we're in. Okay. So, time crystals. You can't get any cooler than something called a time crystal. Yeah, right? I don't understand that name at all. But yeah, something apparently stable in the fourth dimension, what, whatever that means. Like apparently it sort of well, goes goes out, and then as time passes, it goes back somewhere else, and then as time passes again, it sort of repeats the process. Is sort yeah, of how I and, think of it. And it's been recreated. It's been recreated by three separate study bodies, so it's a real thing. Uh, and it's basically the first form of like we all everything that we've studied to this point is like physical matter or something like that you know uh i forget the exact term but uh but th- th- this is this is basically something that gets created like i said in the fourth dimension uh and and, and you know i don't know really why it's called a time crystal i mean to me if you're going to call something a time crystal you know it's got to be able to do something really cool <laughs> uh, but i guess they say that because it kind of can it kind of exists in a in whatever uh, yeah, moment. I, I, I still don't get it. The uh, it, the time crystals too too cool anymore, so we have to cut that thing. I don't, I don't think we're all gonna I don't think we're gonna die from time crystals though. Right, unless we're, well, unless yeah. we're trapped in one, maybe. That but, might not kill us, but one thing uh, one thing that's gonna kill us is is artificial intelligence. Yeah, I disagree. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna it's gonna tell us what what movie we should watch next. Well. Well, I, you know, when we when we were kind of discussing what we might talk about this week, and you brought this up as being what's cool, I was like, no, that's very uncool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so I think we're on the two sides of the of the spectrum here, where uh, you know, you you you've got artificial intelligence. What can it do for us? You know, what you know any of these suggestions for why we're trying to create artificial intelligence? Why are we, I don't know, we, we're trying to create just because that's the kind of superhuman thing we do. We're just trying to make things that we, someone thinks it up and then the next thing you know, you're making it. Uh, and there's some practical uses over time uh, has been like in the 80s, AI, uh, it was, this is as far back my history goes for AI, is that uh, expert systems for, for doctors, right? Are they an expert system? Is a type of AI, which generally, whenever something is called AI, it's because we don't understand it. And as soon as we figure out a way to do it, it's given a particular name and called not AI anymore. But AI is like uh, expert system would be like someone to the bunch of time, say, and they investigate a bunch of people or a person who's an expert, and they go, "All right, if this happens, what next?" And they just program that in. And if that happens, what's well, if it doesn't happen? What what do you do? And they just go through all this if it then logic really complicated and then they put it somebody and basically someone goes through the logic and says okay and then uh, a patient presented themselves with uh, a headache all right headache you know if you ask them when did it start three days ago and uh have you felt any numbness yes in the which side of the body left side or something like that and eventually like oh this person's probably having a heart attack 
you know, and then you get like some high percentage of successful diagnoses, diagnoses that way, which is expert systems. That doesn't sound very AI, right? But that, that was sort of the 80s expert system promise of AI. And people call that, that's not AI, that's not Hal talking to me. That's that's just some stupid logic that they plug, you know, some human put in. And time passes, and today it's this uh, deep, deep learning, uh, uh, machine learning type stuff, which takes a whole bunch of data, and they look for, and they sort of train these neural networks against specific things, and uh, are able to pull out patterns because they've trained these neural networks to uh, recognize stuff. So you might have a picture, uh, and it, because it's trained on a whole bunch of pictures, and someone said, this particular set of pixels, very in a fuzzy way, is often a, a uh, like a, a refrigerator. And so you're, now your AI can go through and be like, look, a, a refrigerator, oh, a pencil, oh, a can of Coke, oh, a computer. And, and it can very quickly uh, pick those out of a scene, and that's 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 one type of uh, machine learning that they do. And it's based on having a huge amount of data and neural networks and being able to train them and hardware that can do that quickly. And you get a, a model at the end, and people, so the, it's going to end the world is along the real AI, like how an intelligent beings that are artificial versus just this, Oh, that's not real AI because now I understand it. I, that's just neural networks with a bunch of floating point values, and you put some inputs in, and you get some input out, and it has an 85% uh, confidence level that it matches a refrigerator. I understand that. That's not real AI. Uh, and, but so the, I don't think the the things that are that are in the realm of future AI that may like autonomous driving or uh, being able to diagnose diseases or whatever, uh, maybe even like law, like you could you could present a set of facts to a, a computer and it tell you back like, well, this person's 95% probably guilty and here's, a, and, and whatever. That, that might be an AI in the future that we don't really call AI, but it's, it's, it's something that is given a specific name. I don't think any of that's gonna kill us. And the fantasy of a intelligent being that could see this because the hardware is so much faster and they could immediately understand humanity in, in its entirety and be advanced over us and therefore we're not in control means that we uh, are gonna fear it because we don't understand it. That, that is gonna kill us all. Uh, I mean, probably less odds of that, and we're going to kill us all from nuclear war or releasing some disease or well, just. Well, what if, what if both happen? I explain. Okay. I think history shows it just takes one human being to uh, put in some false code somewhere because they have a different belief system than than and a different goal than furthering humanity uh, to cause some issues. Let, 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 let's say, uh, you know, let's say one of the coders on the, on this AI project uh, doesn't believe that an intelligent creature or thing should be, you know, controlled in the way that most of us are going to want it controlled. Um, what if 
what if that sort of thing happens? I think history has shown that that's exactly – you're going to – hey, I think there's a lot greater chance than just four people in the world that would think that way. Uh, and, and, and you know, it's a, it seems to me to be very common to, to just have these clashes of ideology. And you mess with something like this. I have another character in my little comic universe. His name is Beta Man, and his origin goes just like this. They worked on the alpha stage of of of, of, of these androids uh, for years and years and years, and at the very moment they're going to kind of switch it on. But before they can take their hand off the switch, he's thought so rapidly and so and processed things to such a level that he goes straight into action and frees himself. And there's. This all happens before the guys turn back around to facing. And I always thought that that was, that's exactly how it will happen if we create artificial intelligence is, you know, one mistake of any form, and trust me, we're humans, we're going to make them, any single mistake. And these, and an artificial intelligence is going to see it and exploit it. I just don't think it's, when you talk about the, how fast a computer can be and what it's going to be like even in the future uh, as they get better and more powerful, I just, I see there's just no way to control an artificial intelligence. And if there is any way for it to take care of us, it'll become how uh, 2017 is <laughs> half of a finger. All right, so... I want to. I could talk. We should talk about more about that. But uh, we've exceeded our one-hour target, and I'm going to leave you with uh, something that's going to scare you. The uh, in the Atlantic, uh, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes if I can figure that out, and I'll send it to you to scare you, Calvin. The uh, artificial intelligence. We're programmed to program to negotiate. So they got them up and said, "You all should start negotiating." And they immediately started going back and forth, and they quickly got rid of English. They said, English is not something we need to use. We should use this other language. They evolved their own language to continue the negotiations. So humans who were sort of observing it lost the ability to observe the negotiation. Not cool. See? <laughs> not cool. Hey, okay. So just a couple quick things okay. to wrap it up here. Uh uh, one, something very uncool. Adam West died. Uh, Adam West, the original Batman, uh, quite possibly the the first star I knew as a child, like that I actually would have been excited to meet or know. Uh, he passed recently. We just want to tip our hat to uh, to Batman. Uh, we're, we're, we're sure he's uh, somewhere uh, sitting by... Uh, a red phone in the sky, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, waiting for the mayor to call. Yeah, wait, waiting for the bat signal. Uh, and also this week, uh, in imaginative realism, uh, my little uh, phantasmal.com spill. I just have a couple small things to point. Well, uh, I like to say, you know, Changing Artist Collective has a Stardust event going on. Uh, it's about seven, I don't know, about fifteen to seventeen pieces. I didn't count them exactly, but it's it's. It's worth definitely worth looking at as usual. Uh, a lot of creative people in that artist collective. But the big news is uh, 
the IX Arts, uh, or you may know as the LuxCon, I think there's been a kind of a rebrand going on, has launched the IX Gallery. It's the inaugural show. Uh, they have uh, over 50 different uh, fancy sci-fi artists with uh, over 120 paintings that came online uh, last night at about 8 p.m. And uh, there's basically inquiry forms, so it's kind of like a, it's a pre-show before the uh, before the uh, actual shows in in August, and uh, I believe you can pre-purchase. I think I think you can purchase them before the show even comes live. These are like, it's like each artist has one or two pieces in there. The actual show, I think they they bring more like five to 20 paintings each, you know, so there's going to be tons more at the show. You're not, not being able to buy anything. There's tons you won't see, uh, but they have kind of give you a sampling and there's some very cool pieces in there. Uh, I, I think the, the, the one they're showcasing, showcasing Bride of Night by Julie Bell is just really cool. One of the, one of the best pieces from her that I've seen. Uh, a lot of my favorite artists are in here. Uh, I, I, I think there's a really cool Alice in Wonderland to tie back into the last episode by, by the Hildebrands. How did I not think about the, uh, the Hildebrand brothers, you know, uh, but you, you, you've got, uh, and it's an older piece. It's called The Mock Turtle. It's by Greg Hildebrand, and uh, it's from 1990. It's 16 by 20 acrylics on board, but it's so beautiful. Uh, if, if Oz, if Wizard of Oz is more uh, your thing, they've, they've got also got one of the Witch and Her Flying Monkeys. Um, you, you, you've really got some great art in this thing. Uh, Pat, Patrick Jones, uh, he's, he has three or four pieces in here, probably more pieces than most. Uh, and he has such a cool palette. I mean, his, his work is instantly recognizable. Um, so, you know, just get over there and take a look uh, and, uh, you know, support the arts and especially imaginative realism as it's, I believe it's kind of a, it's a growing, it's a growing thing that needs, you know, needs a lot of support. I believe that's growing. So that's it uh, cool. for us and uh, we'll next time. Maybe we can uh, figure out these time crystals and, and get the show in uh, on proper time, right? Yeah. All right. So this is episode three, Revenge of... Uh, I see I didn't fit in Revenge, Revenge of the dot, dot, dot. <laughs>